Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Uh, We're just a couple weeks away from Christmas. Uh, This is such a remarkable time of the year. You know, a lot of times around this time of the year, we really look forward to Christmas, but we have a hard time experiencing it the way that we want to. Like we build up these uh, dreams of how we would like to walk through Christmas, but then the reality often doesn't match up. Uh, Being in the Christmas season and being in the Christmas spirit is not the same thing. And we all experience this. Uh, There's this odd dynamic that has to do with your mood, (laughs) like how you feel. Uh, We don't usually talk about your mood around this time of the year, but your mood is actually a really important part of your spiritual life, although we don't often uh, think of them together. Uh, I would describe mood as a pervasive tendency to feel a certain way. And there are a lot of them, but I would say at its simplest, we can divide all moods into either a good mood or a bad mood. And we all tend to be in either one or the other. A good mood is joyful, grateful, generous. A bad mood is negative, irritated, stressed. There's kind of an odd mystery to our moods. When you're in a good mood, the world just looks better to you. Like not only are you happy, but the future seems brighter. When you wake up in the morning, uh, you're glad to be alive. You you're look forward to your day. You know, other people look more attractive and nicer to you. Uh, your job or going to school is a whole lot more fun for you. When you're in a good mood, a sermon seems better to you. (laughs) When you're in a bad mood, that same sermon seems like it's worse to you. So how do you feel about this sermon today? It might be an indication of your mood. When you think about your baseline mood as you go through your day, for people who know you well, if they were asked on a scale of one to 10, what would they say your default mood is? What's your baseline mood? What would you like it to be? You know, you only get to live once. Like, what would you like your mood to be? And what are you doing to move toward that? I was talking to someone recently whose father passed away, and he told me his dad was always a moody guy. He just always seemed to be grumpy and kind of yelled a lot. He used to wonder every day when his dad would come home from work, would it be grumpy dad or would it be less grumpy dad? Like, which one was going to come home that day? And what this son remembers most about his dad was the fact that he was a grumpy guy. It's kind of sad when I think about the family he could have had and the relationship with his son he could have had. And I don't think he has a bad heart or he had a bad heart. I mean, I think he was just like the victim of this kind of chronic low-level irritation. Did you know moody people have fewer friends? They have less intimacy with family members. You know, those who they want to love the most, they're less generous, Uh, they're more self-absorbed. There's this important but kind of tricky connection with your spiritual life 
and your mood. On the one hand, being close to God is not the same thing as being in a good mood. Like sometimes we confuse that. If someone asks, how are you doing spiritually? I just think, well, if I'm happy, then God is close. If I'm not, well, he's far away. But bad people can be in really good moods. I mean, they can win the lottery or something. It doesn't mean they're close to God. On the other hand, this is important to know about God. God wants you to be in a good mood. Uh, the writers of Scripture say that the, uh, the characteristic or the, the manifestation, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life are things like love, joy, peace, and that will affect your mood. In fact, this is so deep. Moods are contagious. So not only does God want you in a good mood, other people in your life want you in a good mood. It can feel kind of selfish to want to be in a good mood, but actually in your family, I mean, if your spouse, if your kids are in a good mood, like you get the spillover from that. That's like a gift to you. If people you work with come in and they're in a good mood, it puts you in a good mood too. As a church, we want to be a place where when people come to our church, they're greeted by people who are in a great mood. They're taught by people who are in a great mood. They're led into worship by people who are in a great mood. They're actually sitting next to people who are in a really good mood. If there's someone sitting next to you right now, that person wants you to be in a really good mood. Now, on the other hand, following Jesus is about something different than just wanting to be in a good mood all the time. Like if I actually want my life, including my moods, to be redeemed by God, I'll have to die to my insistence that life is always doing stuff to put me in a good mood. Jesus actually came, among other things, to impact the mood of the human race. And how he does that depends on our receptivity to him. Uh, I thought it was kind of an exercise of looking at Jesus and moods. Uh, We would take a look at some of the characters in the very first Christmas and what happened when they found out Jesus was present. And just do a little assessment. Are they in a good mood or are they in a bad mood? Because Jesus is with them. Let's look at a few of them. When they, the Magi, also known as the wise men, saw the star, they were overjoyed. Are the Magi in a good mood or a bad mood? Good mood. (laughs) The shepherds find out God is present with Jesus. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The shepherds are put in a good mood because Jesus has come. And then there are the angels. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest. The angels are in a good mood. Now, in the Bible, you hardly ever read about a grumpy angel. Uh, They're probably always pretty happy. But the coming of Jesus just makes them sing. Jesus' mother, Mary, is maybe the most remarkable example of impact on a mood. She's pregnant with Jesus. She goes to visit a relative of hers named Elizabeth. Uh, Elizabeth is pregnant with a son who is going to be John the Baptist. And all Mary does is walk into the room in her pregnant condition. And this is what the text says. In a loud voice, Elizabeth exclaimed, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. What kind of mood was the fetus in? (laughs) A little happy fetal mood, uh, fetal joy for the first time in history. 
Jesus is apparently a very powerful mood-enhancing force. But he doesn't always put people in a good mood. Another character in the story is a guy named Herod. Uh, he's called Herod the Great. He wanted to be the greatest. Anyone who was going to be greater than him was a threat to him. And so Jesus comes along and Herod wants to get rid of him. But the Magi don't let him do that. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders. Now think about this, to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. What kind of mood was Herod in? He was in a really bad mood. And when someone with a lot of power is in a really bad mood, I mean, it gets really dangerous for a lot of people. And by the way, we live in a world where that is still the case, right? I mean, look at Ukraine. Look at stuff that's going on around our world. Herod had what you might think of as kind of a mood disorder. And a lot of us suffer from this. The idea is for a lot of people, when we think about what mood we're in, we make this kind of association. My mood is basically a product of whatever circumstances I happen to find myself in. If I have good circumstances, you know, I make some money, I get good grades on a test, someone praises me, someone likes what I'm doing, well, then I'm in a good mood. If I'm in a bad mood or if I'm in bad circumstances, something bad happens to me, I flunk a test, I face criticism, well, then I'm in a bad mood. I just kind of go through my day, maybe I wake up in a neutral mood and I expect life to give me good stuff. And if it does, then I'm in a good mood. And if it doesn't, then I'm in a bad mood. I go through life as a moody person with all the trouble moody people have. Herod was a very moody guy. Like all the money in the world, all the power in the world didn't make him happy. He had 11 or 12 wives, historians aren't sure which. He had only one wife that he really loved. Her name was Mariamne. Uh, at one point, he was convinced that she was a threat to his throne, so he had her executed. The only woman he loved. He had a son with Mariamne, and he was afraid that that son was going to take power, and so he had his own son executed. He also had two of, two of his other sons executed. When his barber said to him that he thought it wasn't a good idea for him to be executing his sons, he had his barber executed. Herod was such a mean guy that when he was on his deathbed, it was really clear that no one in Israel was going to be sad. So he had 70 of the most prominent citizens of Israel rounded up and locked in a room and left orders that on the day that he died, they were all 70 to be executed. Because when he died, he wanted there to be crying in Israel. He knew no one would cry for him. So he said, I want 70 innocent, prominent people to die on the day that I die so that there will be mourning. You know, I was thinking, if I had a lot of money and a lot of power and the ability to alter the circumstances to make me happy, which actually, when you think about it, most of us live that way. Like Herod should have been the happiest guy in Israel, but he was a miserable train wreck. Now, by way of contrast, there's this young girl. She had no money, no power. Her name is Mary. She gets visited by an angel from God. And then all these extraordinary things happen. And there are two words I want you to notice in this little verse that we're going to look at. 
The words are treasure and ponder. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Those words are both very significant. Like to ponder something means you think about it real deeply. You reflect on it. She would look at what was going on in her life in light of what she studied in the Bible. She would talk to God about it and try to discern what was going on. You know, sometimes people think of that phrase as kind of a, a Hallmark card moment. Like you'd have like herbal tea and just kind of like savor it all. It's actually a language in the Old Testament. These amazing characters who would discern what God was up to. Like Mary would ponder and then she would treasure. To treasure means you find great value in these thoughts. Like you delight in them, you savor them, you uh, turn to them over and over in your mind. Like you move uh, to worship because of them. As a general rule, whatever is going on in your life, your mood will tend to reflect what you habitually ponder and what you cherish, what you treasure. It could be your money. It could be your grades. It could be your looks. It could be your health. It could be your success. It could be God who is present with you in Jesus and loves you. Now, in the moments that remain in this message, I want to walk through four practices to engage in between now and Christmas so that your whole person, including your heart, including your mood, can be guided by God. This is really a message about how do we be in a great mood? Like, how do you actually do that if you want to? Here's the first practice. Ask Jesus to set your mood first thing in the morning. And this is a really good thing to do because how you wake up in the morning is such a key thing. There are some people who are morning people. Are you a morning person? Do you love to wake up in the morning? Or do you hate uh, people who love to wake up in the morning? <laughs> like our moods are such a mystery, aren't they? Like we'll actually say to people sometimes, if they seem to be really grumpy, you must have gotten up on the wrong side of the bed. Like which side of the bed is that? Now, I'm not making this up. There's a sleep disorder scholar, his name is Neil Robinson, and he did a study of over a thousand subjects and actually found out there is a correct side of the bed. I'm not making this up. He actually found out that if you get up on the left side of the bed, you're between four and 10% more likely to be in a better mood, to be a friendlier person, to enjoy your job or your school more than if you got up on the right side of the bed. By the way, I get up on the right side of the bed, but there's only a four to 10% chance that I would ever admit that I'm a grumpy person. <laughs> uh, here's the idea on this one. When you get up tomorrow, you can do this. When you get up tomorrow morning, don't worry about left side, right side. When you get up, make a commitment that your knees are going to hit the floor before your feet hit the floor that you're gonna begin not with, you know, all, all the stuff that I have to do, all the problems that I have to solve, all the questions I have to answer. I read a fascinating article recently. It said most of us are kept from going through life in joy and wonder the way God wants us to because we swim in an ocean of self-judgment. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not successful enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not strong enough. He said this causes us to live a life of anxious mulling instead of joyous doing. What a contrast, huh? A life of anxious mulling instead of joyous doing. 
So the idea is starting tomorrow, when you wake up, instead of anxious mulling, just recognize this is God's day and God is gonna take you through it. Like it's all in God's hands and it, it brings joy to God to make a day a blessing for you. There's a fabulous statement in the Old Testament where the writer says to God, God, your mercies are new every morning. I love that, new every morning. And the idea isn't just that God is always a merciful God. It's almost like when you were sleeping, God was in the kitchen cooking up a batch of fresh mercy. He loves doing that every morning. Do you understand God never gets tired of being God? Like God never gets tired of whipping up a new batch of mercy for you every day. There's this great writer, G.K. Chesterton. Uh, there's a fabulous passage where he talks about how God is like children in this way. This is what Chesterton writes. Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again, and the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony, but perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. <laughs> Isn't that great? We have sinned and grown old. Sin isn't good. Sin doesn't bring life. We have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. So tomorrow morning, wake up and be young. Say, God, do it again. Bring the son up again. Bring those same old people into my life again. Give me another shot at them. Let me love them. Give me moments where I can be so glad to be in this world with you. God, heal me from sinning and growing old. So the first practice is when you wake up tomorrow, seriously, let your knees hit the floor before your feet hit the floor and ask Jesus, Jesus, would you set my mood? Don't let me start the day in neutral. Don't let my circumstances set my day. All right, we'll talk about the next practice in just a moment. All right, so if you've ever spent time with a toddler, you probably know that they're these tiny little people that have really big moods. And when they're happy, their joy and laughter can fill a room with beauty and sunshine. And when their mood turns a little sour, it can wreck everybody's moment. And nothing highlights the complicated feelings of a toddler better than a trip to Disneyland. Uh, some of you are probably laughing because you have stories that come right to mind about Disney experiences, uh, which a toddler in your own group or one that was a, in a group that you encountered, and you're glad that he wasn't part of your group, expressed their full emotions in a line at Disney. We just went to Disneyland and one of my grandsons did not like the lines. And as we stood there, he turned red and shouted at his parents, you know, I don't want to wait. I want to go on the ride right now. I mean, toddlers, they can alter your mood with their mood. And they probably need to hear the truth, you know, that God wants them to be in a good mood more than anyone else. 
we laugh because we know that these these small these small humans are in many ways they're they're incapable of moderating their moods yet we aren't we aren't toddlers and so in theory we should be able to grasp or understand our moods we should be able to understand not only how our our moods affect us but how our moods affect others you know matt in so many ways is highlighting these truths today and our moods are important not merely for ourselves but our moods also reflect our relationship with God. Now, this doesn't mean that you're not going to have moments of anger or sorrow or grief, but it means that we don't have to be weighed down by negative emotions because ultimately God desires for us to be in a good place, a good mood. You know, this idea can be challenging during the Christmas season because we've got a, a big list of things that we have to do. You know, our moods can be altered because of the forced family fun that's anything but fun. And our moods can be altered because we conclude that our year was bombarded with sorrow, grief, stress, and anxiety. And hopefully today we can get to, you know, as a community, that we can reflect on our moods. As we reflect, we can put together a, a process to help us have the best, the best moods uh, during this holiday season. Matt's already highlighted one way to set our mood, and that's to set our mood first thing in the morning. It's so helpful. When we set our intentions and our mood in the morning, we can, we can bask sort of in the positives of life with God, and we can shift our mood to be one that is positive and good. You have a hard time knowing how to do that? Well, Matt's going to give us a few more steps for a good mood, a way to find a good mood. And I encourage you to find one or two of these steps that's a good fit for you. And write those steps down. You know, put it on a post-it, stick it on your, on your desk or your computer. And when a bad mood starts to surface, you know, remember to look at that post-it and actively, right, intentionally try to see uh, what a worshipful heart and a good mood can do in your life this week. You know, let's be a people filled with peace, patience, kindness, hope, a people of good moods. All right, the second practice to engage in between now and Christmas to allow your mood to be guided by God is cultivate gratitude. You know, we have this weird thing that happens to us. Uh, someone gives me a gift and maybe it's a surprise and I'm truly grateful for it. But if they were to give that same gift to me every day for a week, like I wouldn't be seven times more grateful for it. Like I should be, but I wouldn't be. What happens if I get it every day for a week? I start, I start to take it for granted. If I get it every day for a year, I feel entitled to it. I feel like you violated my rights if you don't give it to me. For we have sinned and grown old and our father is younger than we. Now, what does this say about my relationship with God where God gives me more gifts than I can count, like every day, day after day, week after week, year after year. Oh yeah, that's my right. Like I get, I get mad if I don't have that. You know, another great line from Chesterton, when we were children, we were grateful to those who filled our stockings at Christmas time. Why are we not grateful to God for filling our stockings with legs? Why is it that I don't say every morning, God, like my feet work and my hands work. How much giving into your life does it take for you to feel gratitude? It's strange how often people whose lives hurt the worst feel gratitude most keenly. I was reading a book recently about a man named William Porter. Uh, he had what I feel was a really painful and difficult life. Uh, when he was born, his mom died. 
Uh, when he was an infant, his dad was a raging alcoholic and fled. He left the scene pretty early on, and so he had to kind of fend for himself. Uh, somehow he made it to adulthood. Uh, he married a woman, and she gave birth to a little boy, but that baby died when it was still a baby boy. And then his wife got really, really ill, and the company that he worked for crashed, and he got arrested for embezzlement. Um, he said that he was innocent, but he had to flee the country. He lived in Honduras for a while. And then he got word that his wife, whom he loved, was deathly ill. And so he had to come back to the States. And she died. And he was captured and incarcerated for embezzlement. And while he was in prison for several years, he discovered that he could write. He had a real gift for writing. Uh, he would write short stories. And of course, he knew that no one was going to want to publish or buy a story from a prisoner. And so William Porter wrote under the pen name of O. Henry. Do you know a writer, a writer named O. Henry? One of the stories he wrote is a Christmas story about a young couple. It's called The Gift of the Magi. They were a real poor, impoverished young couple, uh, Jim and Della. All Jim had of any value in the world was a gold watch. Uh, it was his grandfather's and then his dad's and then it was his. And he managed to hang on to it and he didn't look at it often because it was attached to a, a really cheap kind of ugly leather strap. Uh, he couldn't afford a chain. The other thing he really loved because he loved his wife so much was her long, beautiful hair. And he wanted so badly to give her a wonderful Christmas present to give her these really expensive hair accessories with jewels, but he had no money. And so he gets this idea, I could sell my old gold watch. I love it, but it would be worth it to sell it just to see her eyes light up and to see her put beautiful jewels in her hair. And so he does. And he's so excited on Christmas morning and he goes to give the gift to Della and he sees to his shock, she will not be able to wear them. She cut off her hair and sold it to a wig maker in order to buy a platinum chain for the watch that he no longer owns. It's this wonderful story with this amazing twist, which I've told you now, so I've kind of spoiled it. You don't need to go read this story. Merry Christmas. Um, <clears throat> but I want to read to you uh, the last paragraph of the story. It's so beautiful. The Magi, as you know, were wise men, wonderful wise men who brought gifts to the babe in the manger. They invented the art of giving Christmas presents. Being wise, their gifts were no doubt wise ones. And here, I have lamely related to you the uneventful chronicle of two foolish children in a flat who most unwisely sacrificed for each other the greatest treasures of their house. But in the last word to the wise of these days, let it be said that of all who give gifts, these two were the wisest. Of all who give and receive gifts, such as they are wisest everywhere. They are wisest. They are the Magi. When with a grateful heart, I just stand before God and say, God, you've done it again. Like you've given me more gifts than I can count. Like my body, uh, every lung full of air that I breathe, every friendly face I see, and especially your son. God, what can I give? How can I be a giver like you? All right, the third practice is worship Jesus in your problems. And this tends to be difficult for us. 
at the first Christmas, there were problems for everyone. There were problems for Joseph. There were problems for Mary. There were problems for Jesus. There were problems for the family. Jesus's brother, James, decades later, would write these words. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Consider it pure joy when you face trials. And I have to tell you, I'm awful at this. Do you have a hard time with this one, actually considering it joy? This week I was working on this message, uh, this part of it, and trying to get this reality in my mind. And so I decided to memorize this section, consider it joy when you have problems. And while I was working on that, at times, my mind would keep going back and forth between that statement and this relational problem that I have in my life with someone where I need to take some serious steps to solve it, but I can't. And it's kind of weighing me down. And I would just obsess over that. And then I would go back to consider it joy when you have problems. And then I'm trying to figure out, how do I teach this to you? I mean that you need to consider it pure joy when you have problems. And then my mind would go back to just obsessing over my problem. And then the thought occurred to me, kind of like it was from heaven. This kind of happens sometimes. Matt, do you have a problem? Yes, I have a problem. Matt, are you considering your problem pure joy? No, I'm not considering my problem pure joy. And the problem is I have to teach this stupid concept to our church about how to consider all your problems pure joy. Like I have to teach this stuff. And then this thought came to me. You know, Matt, you are your problem. For you to be able to learn how to identify this is the problem and you have to consider that pure joy. It's not because I'm happy that I have a problem, but because God is going to be at work in this problem to make me a different person. Like this problem doesn't separate me from the love of God. It doesn't have ultimate power over my life. So I can stand apart from the problem and I can say, all right, go ahead, problem. Like do your work. But here's the deal. God and I are going to make it through this together. So between now and Christmas, when you have a problem, which you most likely will, maybe it's that you will not have enough time. Uh, maybe you'll not have enough money. Maybe you'll not have enough energy. Maybe there will be someone who, will, who you wish would be at the table on Christmas, but they're not there. Maybe there will be someone who is at the table on Christmas who you wish was not there you're gonna have some problem or another. And when you do, would you just say this with me? I'm gonna worship God in my problem. I will consider it joy when I face problems. Will you do that this Christmas? Are you excited about doing that this Christmas? All right, last practice, spread the word. You know, when Jesus came, when someone actually got confronted with the reality of Jesus, I mean, they had to tell people. It just spilled out of them. When they, the shepherds, had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. There was an old woman named Anna in the temple. When Jesus was brought to her, Anna gave thanks to God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. You see, there's something about God where if I have him, like I don't want to keep him all to myself. I wanna help give him away. 
When I talk to other people about him in ways that are appropriate and I ask God, like, would you lead me in this conversation? Would you help me have this spiritual conversation with this person? Would you help me encourage this person? Would you help me say to this person, I'd love to pray for you if that's okay? Would you help me tell this person, you know, I go to this church and we're gonna have a celebration on Christmas Eve. I'd love for you to join me. You see, there's something that happens when I do that. God becomes more alive inside of me when I spread him to people outside of me. And I'll tell you, there is no one in the Bay Area who is so smart, so rich, so healthy, so successful that they don't need Jesus. And there is no one who God does not love. And you know, God is always in a good mood. But Jesus said something about what especially produces joy in heaven. I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So what do you say? Like, let's make the angels happy. Let's uh, make heaven laugh, heaven joyful. Let's extend some invitations this week. All right, would you pray with me? God, would you help us to consider our mood, like whatever that baseline is? And, and God, would you do a work in us so that we don't allow the circumstances of our life to dictate what mood we're gonna be in? God, help us to, to follow these steps. And I pray that these steps would really uh, change the way we see life and, the and it would change the mood that we're in. And it would actually change the way that we live our lives and the people that we interact with. God, would you begin to do this work in us? Help us to continue to study. Help us to continue to grow. And help us to uh, prepare our hearts and our minds to celebrate Christmas. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.